Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2018. This is Madison talking about Steps 8 and 9. I'm Madison, alcoholic and sober today. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to be part of the Working With Others group, uh, which has been instrumental in this weekend. So thank you guys for everyone that's, um, that's done something. Now, I hate being behind here. Is there anyone? No? All right, everyone hear me? Good. Yep. That seems to create a, a me and you, and I don't like that because it's not, I'm nothing special. Um, any newcomers? Not that I'm going to be able to see hands, but anyone in their first couple of months here this morning? Phenomenal. Phenomenal for a few reasons. One, I look at that and I don't see drinking. I don't see drinking anywhere. Um, and when I came into AA, I looked at that and I thought, no, nah, no such thing. There's no way that I'm ever going to do that for similar reasons to what Catherine said. I just, I don't harm people. I sit by myself in isolation in a dark room and I drink. Who on earth could I possibly be hurting? But that was a long way to come and I, I guess I'll start from the start. And I too was 20 when I found AA. I, um, I drank myself into a place where Alcoholics Anonymous seemed like the perfect place to save a relationship, not to stop drinking but to come here and learn how to control my drinking better, fix my relationship and then leave you guys behind. That was my intention and that's... So I came into meetings, I bought a book, a pen and paper, and I was writing down real cool quotes, real cool facts and figures and this person <laughs> said this and I'll recite this and what do you expect? I'm drinking again but I'm an alcoholic, you know? And that worked for about two times in drinking and then my, my girlfriend at the time turned around and realised that she didn't care whether I was an alcoholic or not. She didn't like my behaviour when I was drunk. But I was here for all the wrong reasons and controlled drinking was never my thing because red flags started to happen when I was 14 and obviously I didn't have any sort of language that I learnt in here or any way of articulating what was going on for me but I remember I was driving through a bottle shop. I wasn't driving fortunately at 14. Dad was driving through the bottle shop and I was the passenger and it's a Tuesday night, a school night. And Dad goes through and he buys a 10-pack of Woodstock uh, cans. And I knew he was going to get six, I was going to get four. And I turned to Dad and I said, Dad, that's not going to be enough. Now, obviously, by then, I was only, I'd only been drinking by that time every Friday for about a year. Started, started drinking on my 13th birthday. But even still, 12 months down the track, four cans... Not because quantity was important for me being an alcoholic, I had anything to do with me being an alcoholic, but I knew that four cans was not going to fix the way that I felt once I started drinking. This idea that when I start drinking, I have little or no control over how much I have, and the more that I have, the more that I feel that I need. And it was later on in life when I started drink driving and going against all my morals and everything that I was brought up to believe as a way of practicing being a good citizen went out the window because when I start drinking, I know drink driving's wrong. But if that's the hurdle between me and continuing drinking if I run out, I'm drink driving. I have to. There's no ifs or buts about it. And so that's where all my behaviour came out. But I, I can see now being in AA for a couple of years that that started back at 14. I was already stuffed. And my obsession, I guess the second part that makes me an alcoholic, this idea that even when I started making decisions to stop drinking, that I started to see that I was losing things in life that I valued and I couldn't quite keep life together. 
And I started, instead of promising my girlfriend at the time when I first came to AA that I was going to stop drinking for the wrong reasons, but I start making these promises to myself in silence that I'm not going to drink today and it's a matter of hours later and I'm drinking and I couldn't tell you why that I had those two components that make me an alcoholic. The fact that I was a a continuous daily top-up drunk the last couple of years of my drinking career has nothing to do with me being an alcoholic. The amount that I drank has nothing to do with me being an alcoholic, although I thought it was. Titling myself as an alcoholic in Year 12 purely based on how much I could drink compared to my fellow peers. But just those two components. When I start drinking, I have little or no control over how much I take. And even when I want to quit, even when health relationships and everything that I value in life is going to go out the window and I know the consequences if I pick up another drink, they don't stop me from drinking. I don't have a deterrent. I can't just go and do CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, and then be cured because for some reason, as the presentation said on Friday night, and as I know in my experience, nothing stops me from drinking. I drink under every circumstance and just watch me. It's not a matter of just not drinking or just deciding not to and being okay, otherwise I wouldn't be here today and I definitely wouldn't be saying that I'll come up and share at the last minute. And so if that's what makes me an alcoholic, then why on earth do I need to do that? And I didn't realise until I got there why I needed to do that. And I didn't realise the emphasis of this step and I, I could not have foreseen that my experiences with 8 and 9 have been some of the most magical experiences that I've had in Alcoholics Anonymous. But before I got to there, I'd, I was taken through the book by my sponsor and I don't think that reading the book by myself would have deciphered it the way that I needed to. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have deciphered what that book was telling me to do or suggesting that I do in order to stay sober based on what the first 100 or 97 or something like that did to get sober. And I didn't realise the relevance of someone that was the age of 20. Now, I didn't get sober um, when, I got, when I got here at 20. I... I spent eight months in and out chasing new relationships, two relationships simultaneously, more work, less work, and I tried to do all these other things as a way of fixing my life the way that I thought that it needed to be fixed. People settle down and have kids, I need a relationship. The shine would rub off that relationship and so I'd go and try and get another one at the same time. And I'd, I'd invest myself in sport and other activities in, in a way of fixing the way that I felt inside because I was dying and I didn't even know it. Emotionally dying. Well, physically dying too, actually. But emotionally dying was the worst bit. And so I get to step three and I make this decision to try and live life based on a different basis purely because I could see that although I had had some success in life, a national swimmer and a couple of other accomplishments, they were short-lived or soon gone because of my behaviour, because drinking always came as number one and I couldn't keep national times in swimming because I was drunk and couldn't follow the big black line at the bottom of the pool. I, I just couldn't maintain anything like that. I couldn't maintain relationships because alcohol got in the way. It was, even though I didn't want it to be, it took up way more time than anything else did in life. And so I made a decision, even though I didn't know what life would look like, to try and live life differently to the way that I always had. Now, fortunately, steps four through nine show me how to do that. And my sponsor said to me when I took that, when I made that decision in the third step, and I I didn't understand the relevance back then, but he said, whatever happens in your life from here on out is no longer your concern. I thought, 
sounds pretty airy-fairy. But he followed that up with saying, that doesn't mean you won't become concerned with what happens in your life. It just means it's no longer your concern. I'm trying to find a power by this point. I acknowledge that my power by itself is no longer going to keep me sober, sane or happy. I couldn't do it before AA and I tried for eight months and I couldn't do it in AA. In fact, in sobriety, the same behaviour that I was exhibiting when I was drinking happened when I was sober and for me life got worse when I got sober. I got homeless whilst trying to stay sober because my behaviour left me in a position where my family wanted nothing to do with me. Great content for making amends later, but it didn't feel good at the time. (laughs) And so I make this decision that I'm going to try and be less concerned with what happens in my life, try and stop stopping injecting myself into every situation because I think that I will make this better, you better and everything else better. And just let things unfold. And I start going through, I made my inventory, uh, yeah, I did my inventory, I shared it with someone else, my deepest, darkest secrets, and I got this, this liberty from doing that in five that I didn't expect. I didn't realise that the stuff that I wrote down in my four and I shared it with someone else in five, I didn't realise how much headspace that actually took up. And so in turn, when I walked into that exercise or when I started that exercise, I didn't realise how freeing that process was going to be. And this was very similar to step nine. And so I should probably start talking about step eight and nine then. <laughs> so I had my original list. I, um, it was, I didn't realise at the time and I'd, I was almost pissed off at myself actually because the list of people that I despised, my hate list, my resentments list, whatever you want to call it, became the basis of of my list in step eight. And there was obviously a few people that I had harmed that I wasn't resentful towards and a couple of people that were on that original list that that I hadn't harmed, actually. Um, And it was told to me that that was not my decision to figure out. I was to run these examples or these these things that I had done or allegedly done towards other people past my sponsor or someone else for which he would determine whether I owed them an amends or not. Now, that was a longer list than I would have anticipated. Um... But some of the experiences that I had with 8 and 9 showed me that I can't live my life successfully. Although I said success in the past was fleeting and soon gone. I mean, see, here I am, I think that a couple of years sober, I've had an opportunity to drive my siblings to school and I'm, I'm still sort of wrapping my head around the second part of step one, that life had become unmanageable. And all of a sudden as I'm driving, driving them to school, I see this small wafts of smoke coming up from in between the steering wheel. The smoke turned into fire and I realised that my car's caught on fire inside while I'm driving to school. And I thought, that's a hilarious story. So we pulled over, we got out, and we had a bit of a laugh about it, and then I rang my sponsor and I said, you'll never guess what happened, thinking that he's going to laugh along. But the only words that come out of his mouth were, and this is again, a couple of years sober, so tell me again how your life's manageable. And I get it, I get it when I, I do things like that. And so what happens, I realise that I'm no good in my life. But again, what I need to be free of is the white noise that I have before I make amends. That I avoid the person or the old lady in this street when I'm driving to work because I know that I robbed her house. And so I'll go five blocks out of my way to avoid her house just so I don't have to think about it. And I didn't realise I had that stuff until I got to this step. And so I go back and I make amends. 
And every single time I made amends, it went completely different to the way that I could have told you it was going to go. There were so many amends that I made that I thought, I'm going to be arrested for this, I'm going to be locked up for this, I'm going to be stuffed for life if I go and say that I did this because I got away with it in the first place. Why on earth would I go back? First of which was my old high school. I, um, I, the day before muck-up day, I dug a rather large phallic symbol into the main school oval, required them to re-sew the whole oval, cost them quite a lot of money. And they accused someone else in my year level um, of it. He didn't get punished. Um, and then nothing was ever said about it again. And I realised that I owed them quite a lot of money for, for my behaviour. And so obviously this one came up and I was petrified. I mean, I'd, I haven't been fortunate enough to have a job during sobriety, let alone be able to pay back thousands and thousands of dollars. But I was willing, and that's what the book talks about. It talks about being willing, and if we're not willing, we ask for the willingness. And so I went in and I set up... Oh, no, it actually got worse from there because the principal that was at the school when I was there actually worked side by side with my mum. So at least I had a little bit of rapport by proxy... But since I'd graduated, the, the principal had actually swapped over. So I was going in to make an amends to this principal, someone that I didn't know, didn't have any fluffy rapport with. I was going in blind. And so I set up this meet, and I ended up going there on the day. And I remember I walked into the door, uh, into his office, and he's standing there, and I'm watching his hands. I'm watching his hands. I'm looking for a window that I can jump out of. And the moment that he reaches into his pocket for his phone to call triple zero, I'm out that window. I'm falling couple of stories down, I'm landing in that bush that I saw on the way in and I am skyrocketing out of there. That's my plan. And so he shakes my hand and we sit down and we're opposite each other and I'd, I'd run this past someone too. I'd obviously, I'd run this past my sponsor and I went there based on his suggestion, this is how we should do it. And so I sat there and I thought, look, I've been told that I may not overcome this drinking problem if I don't continue to grow spiritually, if I don't continue to get out of my comfort zone and my little box and go and have these new experiences with this power that's actually guiding me in life, that is not me, primarily. And so we sit down and I start making this amends and I explain to him out loud what I had done. And again, I'm cautiously cautiously watching his pockets, I'm watching his hands, and he doesn't pull out a phone, he looks at me and there's a really big pause. Felt like about three years long, one of those pauses. And, and then he speaks. But he didn't say anything that I thought he was going to say. He had a rather stern face. He wasn't smiling. He wasn't snickering. And he said, what you've done is absolutely remarkable. He said, in my 27 years of being a principal, not once have I ever had someone, or an ex-student, come and do something like this. He said, as a matter of fact... As a matter of fact, the year rates every year at the start of the year in term one have a health week. And we often get speakers to come in and share their life stories and things that they've overcome in life. And he said, I would love you to come and speak in front of, the, in front of them next year. I thought I was going to prison. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to get a job offer out of it. But the importance, and I guess I'll finish with another experience, of what not to do when it comes to amends is... Do it on your own thinking. That's a what not to do. Because I'm the sort of person at a couple of... I reckon I would have been about 15 months sober. And I was nowhere near... No, I wouldn't have been 15 months sober. Um, I would have been about seven months sober. And I'm still trying to run my life based on what I think I need. 
based on what I think is right. Intellectualising this process rather than letting it unfold spiritually, which I still have no idea what that is. And I go into Centrelink and I see two or three customers in front of me in the line is one of my ex-girlfriends. I know she's coming up on that list. I know that I've caused a lot of harm there. And I think, right, this has got to be that mystical God working. This is my chance to make amends. And, I, and so I think to myself, if the opportunity arises, because I heard that in the rooms, I will make amends to her. And so she did her thing, she walked out the front door, and then I got through pretty quickly. And I thought, all right, you beauty, I'm on. Now, I haven't run this past anyone. I haven't written down a template. I haven't followed any sort of suggestions other than the same thinking that continuously got me drunk prior to AA, the same thinking that continued to get me drunk in the first eight months of me being in AA, the thinking that I need to, be, I need to try and cast aside using the process of the 12 steps. But here I am following this train of thought. And so what happened was I got out the door and I ran to the car and I saw her about 300 metres up the road. She's just walking on the side of the road. And I'm, thinking, I'm still thinking, this is on. This is perfect. God set this up for me. And so I am crawling about 5, 10 kilometres up the road in a 50 zone, stalking this lady, <laughs> waiting for an opportunity to drive by without stopping the car in the main road, open the door and say, get in. <laughs> I need to make amends. Fortunately, when I got to her, she turned the corner and walked down a footpath and I didn't get the chance to open the door. But that's where I go with this stuff. That's what happens when I try and live my life. The importance was trying to follow a power that was greater than myself, which I've learned in the previous steps, because I don't do well in life. I will muck it up. Just give me enough time. And so I've, I've had a fantastic couple of opportunities of what not to do. And I've had many, many experiences. Every single amends I made has left me in a situation that I could not have foreseen or foretold, that has led me to a place in life that I would... How do I word it? There really is no words that I can come up with and actually express how this step makes me feel afterwards. It's a phenomenal step because it rebuilds relationships that I never thought would be able to be rebuilt. I've been able to maintain a relationship with my younger brother now, although he's in prison for, he crashed his car. Uh, unfortunately, his best friend was, was the victim um, of that car accident and passed away. And so my brother's serving five years uh, in prison and he was in there at 18. And he, dr- he drank drive once, or he, he drove under the influence once and that was, that was punishment for him. And I did that for many, many years and I was never caught. And there was a breakdown in the relationship between the two of us and he wouldn't even acknowledge my existence. And so when I got the same chance to make amends to him for my behaviour, when I asked a question on consideration at the end, how can I set this right, he stood up and he said, are we done? And he walked out. Again, didn't go the way I thought it would. But after his car accident, I was the first person he opened up to because he saw, I guess he saw my behaviour through AA, consistently trying to work on myself and make myself a better person. I'm closer to that kid these days, even though he's in prison, than I've ever been in my life. You know, this, this step is miraculous. It, um, it's completely changed my life. You know, I wouldn't still be in AA if I hadn't had the experiences and I hadn't stepped on. I didn't see the relevance of not drinking in this step until I went out and actually did it. I, did, I could not, as I said, foresee the rebuilding process between me and my fellow people, me and my family, primarily the ones I hurt the most being the ones that were closest to me. 
but I couldn't see the repairing that it was doing between me and a power that still guides me to this day. Now, I have a very specific default position, selfish, self-centred by nature, and if I wake up and get out of either side of the bed, I'm doomed if I try and bring me into the day. It doesn't matter which side of the bed. I still have that in me and I can call on that selfish and self-centredness without even knowing today, provided that I don't do anything that I've been listening to this weekend. It's a design for living that really works. It's what the book says and that's what my experience says. And I need to continue following that design if I have any hopes of being a successful citizen at all. But most importantly for me, if I ever want to have internal harmony, which I have today, because no longer can I sit there dying inside and every time someone asks me how I'm doing and I sit there and say, I'm good because I wasn't and I couldn't admit it. And now I actually am good and can answer good and be honest about it. And that was mostly thanks to this step. I'll leave it there. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au. Thanks for letting us share.